He struts like John Wayne, resembles Jim Carrey, and dresses like he's visually impaired. Because he is Insight. Insight with Mark Farrell on the Progressive Radio Network. Network. Hello, hello, hello. What's happening, my friends? Yes, it's Thursday. New York City, how are you? And that is my new harmonica. <laughs> I had it in my bag this morning, so I figured I'd give you a uh, shot of really bad harmonica playing. Yes, I'm not good at it, as you can tell, but it is a great instrument. I just love it. It's fun. It's portable, put in your pocket, and once in a while, actually like this past week, I started a show, one of my talks, with it because it's just an interesting way to gain an audience's attention like very quickly. They're like, what's going on? As a matter of fact, I started in the back of the theater where I gave a talk on Monday and started. They introduced me and I wasn't on stage. I had a wireless microphone in the back of the arena and I walk in playing that and people are freaking out, turning their heads like, what is this all about? So it's a great way to get attention. Hey, it's Insights. It's Thursday, Friday Eve. The weekend's on tap. It's beautiful in New York City today and the world is falling apart. So, so sad, man. Um, I cried last night. I think I cried the day before. Just watching and reading all the mayhem transpiring in Ukraine. My Lord. So we're going to be talking about, yes, the unfortunate, the unthinkable, the unfathomable um, situation. We're also going to have part two. This is good stuff now. Nigel Dick. Yes, the rock icon. Yes, he'll kill me for saying that. If you love Tears for Fears, if you love Oasis, Guns N' Roses, Def Leppard, Real McCoy, Oasis, Cher, on and on and on. The Coors, Sheryl Crow, R.E.M., Britney Spears, then you know and love his videos. Yes, how could you not know certain videos of stars? Because even if you weren't into videos, like I wasn't really big time into videos, but there are certain iconic videos that always replay in my brain when I hear songs. Love it or not, um, that's the magic of media, right? (laughs) So we're going to get to part two of Nigel Dick. He's just an incredible person. I had the pleasure of meeting last August in Denver. Um, Our first conversation is available, uh, certainly on the Insight page at prn.live, so check that out. It's about 40 minutes of compelling conversation, not from me, only from Nigel. And uh, so part two coming up in a few minutes. So yes, Want to talk about uh, Ukraine, want to talk about the Paralympics, and uh, some other things that I want to share with you, of course. But I hope you're doing well. Uh, The mask mandate certainly has been lifted. If not, it's going to be lifted very shortly in the next few days where you live, if you're in the United States. If not, I'm not sure about what the mandates are going to be um, internationally. But good news here in New York City, um, the governor... Uh, who I love, by the way, Hochul. She's been in office for about three months or so after Cuomo was ousted. And I think she's doing a phenomenal job. She's really doing a phenomenal job. New York City mask mandates will be left up to the individual districts for schools. But here in New Jersey, as of March 7th, I believe that's Monday, um, the kids will have an option to go maskless. So I think it's certainly time. I think it's time to move on on many, many levels. It's frustrating. It's hard for the kids. It's hard for educators. It's hard for adults. It's hard for athletes. It's hard for everyone. 
Uh, certainly, it's uh, up to your will and volition if you want to still strap one on. Totally for it if you're in for that. If you're at risk, if you're a senior citizen, et cetera, et cetera. But <sighs> yeah. Oh, Biden, by the way, State of the Union. I wasn't going to talk about this, but I just thought about it, so I have to. Um, State of the Union address. First of all, I just got to state the obvious. I mean, he's not a great orator. We know that. But he came out blazing, man. For him, energy-wise, except, you know, he got derailed a few times when he either just got lost on a prompter um, or just wanted to improvise. But anyway, I thought his initiatives, his plans, some of them are not new but he has obviously trouble getting them passed. But, man, I'm all for it. He came out blazing, man, and I think he did a great job talking about certainly about uh, how things need to be made in America, the uh, intel plant that is proposed, all these different initiatives, the roads to come back strong, um, how the pandemic is lifted, how he's actually, I'm not really happy about how he handled the pandemic. I think the home test kits should have been out within the first two, three months of him being in office. So there I'm a little bit disenchanted with him. And it was interesting to see the VP on Kamala the next morning and uh, answering a few questions. I forget what show I was kind of browsing around at five or six o'clock in the morning. But uh, it was interesting because when her response to Americans paying more at the pump due to the fallout of Russia, and us really hitting Russia in the pocketbook. Yes, I mean, I think about six or eight banks have pulled out of Russia or will not do business, but there is a heck of a lot of other banks. And if we don't really hit them in our pocketbook, how are we going to make a change for them, impact them? And I love the fact that we're going to be going after the oligarchs in New York City, big time properties, um, yachts, you name it. Um, but I'm getting sidetracked. So Kamala was on and asked about the American people, would they be willing to to do more or to have less so other people have to suffer? And she kind of sidestepped. What an anomaly, <laughs> a politician sidestepping a question. Uh, but later on, I saw a Russian make that a Ukrainian ambassador, well-spoken woman. And she said, you know, I, w- I want to make a statement because I saw Kamala Harris on, and you asked her a question, and uh, I want to ask the American people a question. I thought this was amazing. She said, will they be willing to pay X amount more at the pump to save the lives of Ukrainians? And I was like, whoa. Yeah, I am. I am certainly willing to pay another 20, 30, 40, 50 cents a gallon at the pump to save the lives of Ukrainians. Let's not keep feeding the Russians, with their fuel and oil because they are a major, major supplier. I think the third largest in the world. Let's clamp down on every possible conduit and manner that we can to hurt Russia. What they're doing is absolutely abysmally wrong on every level. And Zelensky, this guy, President Zelensky of Ukraine, is just amazing. I just love this guy on every level. All politicians and everyone in the world is learning and should learn from the model that they're setting on every level. They're taking the high road. Here they are getting bombed, losing lives every day, and he still takes the high road. He's not calling um, Putin unthinkable names, 
and he could chastise him in many, many ways. And yes, he's saying certainly what things need to happen. Uh, But, you know, when I read this morning what he had said, this really crystallizes who this guy is, President Zelensky. When asked about uh, other world leaders saying, you need to get out of there, Zelensky, you need to leave Ukraine. He said, I need ammunition, not a ride. That sums him up. That sums up his wife as well, who at first uh, I was reading that was really apprehensive of this former actor and comedian stepping into the political limelight. Like it radically changes your life, right? And here he is holding on in ditches, in bunkers, with Kevlar on, looking like every other Ukrainian out there, who, by the way, who are manning the streets, women and men, women. I love this former Miss Ukraine of, I think, 2015. Gorgeous woman strapped up in Kevlar holding who knows what kind of gun, because I'm not a gun person. You probably aren't either. But that's what they do because their pride of their country, of their democratic society, has them out in the streets. Yes, the, the military is doing a pretty damn good job, Ukrainian military, for the size and capacity. And great for the civilians of doing neighborhood watches and stopping cars that are coming in and being very, very respectable to the Russian soldiers. God bless them. Pulling over, this one video has a a car pulling over next to a tank. Ukrainian driver is saying to the tank driver, hey, what's up? He's like, oh, we ran out of fuel. He goes, oh, okay, and moves on. But there's, there's no harsh sentiments because, you know, the people of Russia, and thank God for them, are taking, well, thousands of them are, taking to the streets. And yes, they're getting arrested. And hopefully that's the extent of it because God knows we don't want Russian lives to be lost as well. But whatever it takes, I guess, for Putin to get the message, this insane lunatic. But good for them for taking a stance. And uh, I'm not sure of the name. There's a uh, almost like a Jimmy Kimmel, if you like-esque Russian TV host who made a statement the other day About the invasion, and of course, he's no longer on the air. Hopefully, he's alive. (laughs) This is like out of a a terrible, terrible movie. But this is the world we live in. But I I just have all the respect in the world for the Ukrainians um, and and the the families that are uh, the men who are taking their families to the borders and turning around because they're needed. Um, But it's, it's true. What will we do? What will America do? What will the rest of the world do? Thank you, Germany. India, no word. Hello, India. Let's get going. And other countries need to get on board. This is unacceptable on every level. The precedent will be set. And I love how in the uh, UN meeting the other day, um, I'm not sure who was speaking, someone from Russia, but everyone got up and left. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> of course. All right, let's get to some really, really good news. Nigel Dick, he's just a phenomenal person. I had the pleasure of meeting him, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, um, last year. And uh, we stayed in touch and um, for many reasons, because we have uh, someone in common, some movement in common, providing accessibility for persons with disabilities through a music festival called Shine. And not only is he great behind the camera, he's great 
on the phones and making things work. Obviously, when you're in the business of making uh, film and videos, um, you have to be a, a multifaceted, skilled person. And that's who he is. And I'm really happy to welcome part two of Nigel Dick to Insight on the Progressive Radio Network. Enjoy. Nigel Dick, what is it about filmmaking, video making, that you're most passionate for? Oof. Um, well, it's great when, um, I mean, I got a text from somebody, or I think actually it was an Instagram message about five weeks ago. And it was from somebody who said, you don't know who I am, but I saw the Together movie, which is a, a, a boy band spoof movie I made for MTV in 2000. So it's 22 years ago. Um, you don't know me, but I saw the Together movie and I can't tell you how much it changed my life. Thank you. That's and you go, blimey, 22 years later. <laughs> Some, I mean, so you, the, the thing that's extraordinary about what we do, what I do, is you affect people and you have yeah. no idea. Um, years ago, I was making a video for Was Not Was uh, for a song called uh, walk the dinosaur and we came up with a very quickly on set we came up with a, a little routine uh open the door get on the floor everybody do the dinosaur so and you know it took five minutes to come together and there's four girls in the video and they do this routine and you forget about it and then about six months later a buddy of mine went to china this would be in the eight late 80s i suppose he went to china and then he sent me a postcard. He said, last night I was in a disco in Shanghai. The record came on and everybody in the disco did the routine. And you go, holy crap. How can that be, right? Well, see, there I you mean, go, impacting a culture again. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, uh, I mean, I, I do something which I did for a lark. Yeah. You know, why don't we do a dinosaur dance? And, uh, you know, half the people are rolling their eyes. And then suddenly you get a postcard and they're telling you that there's 150 people in a disco in Shanghai yeah. doing the yeah. dance. Well, you know what? I mean, that's what you did and that's what you do. You're an artist on, on many different levels. And, you know, that song is kitschy, it's campy. And that dance was perfect for it. So there well, you go. You, it's a win-win. I mean, the trick is not to set out to change the world. No, because course, if you do, no. you'll probably fail. I mean... What I do, I do for purely selfish reasons in that I've always loved music. It's been the major motivator of my life. And um, I get to hang out with musicians and, you know, not do a real job. <laughs> I mean, I've done real jobs. Mm. Uh, no, uh, And, you know, as I say, I used to work, I used to work in a metalwork factory in Germany. And what I do now is better. Yeah. Well, can so, you imagine um, those two words, metal and Germany, just if Germany isn't sort of a dark connotation alone, you know, back certainly 40 years ago, um, I mean, metal factory. Yeah, that'll do it. Talk about I, I your mean, dad. Do you think that you're um, that you're so spot on with your processes and thoroughness because your dad was a military man and very orderly and structured? Um, do you think that is partially in your genes? And would you attribute that to uh uh, uh, ingredient to your success? Well, it does affect me. I mean, you know, 
I'll let you guess what kind of pencils these are. Um, That's just, great. Just all just the so you, same color. Just so OCD, you really understand, these are there's two B pencils and there's B pencils. So I love it. I mean, yeah, it does affect you. Um, but no, because my father is a military man, you know, he does, you know, it, a lot of it is to do with um, you don't take off in your aircraft until you've checked the flaps, the ailerons, the gas, you know, look around, make sure nobody's standing by the propellers, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. What I do is just a million miles from what my parents grew up doing. There was no format for it. Um, so you learn, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm terrified of failure. There's, there's your answer. So you want to make sure that even, even if the piece of work you make doesn't grip people emotionally, and of course you hope that it does, at least you want to know that people go, well, it was a good piece of work. Didn't like it very much. Hmm. Technically, maybe yeah. creatively, it didn't so, you know, strike a chord with me. But I mean, if you look at the execution, it was well done. Yeah, yeah. So um, you like to do that. But um, it's so complex that if you sit down and you try and analyze it, unfortunately, on some levels, you can't. You know, I mean, again, going back to the Oscar nominations this morning, why was this person nominated for being best director when Denis Villeneuve, who directed June, did not get uh, nominated? That's a you whole know, why, other conversation, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's warranted. But in terms of, uh, you know, I beg to differ. I think that the, all those different structures and double checking everything uh, benefited you because that's when you're on a set. You have to think about redundancies, backup. Uh, you know, how many times you pivoted, we just spoke about in the last, you know, 40 minutes or so. Um, that is, you know, you being obviously very seasoned in your craft, uh, knowing the limits and capabilities of your talent on stage or wherever the set may be on that particular day, um, and being able to make it work. Or as you said, being able to know when to say, whoop, let's not pull the plug here and make a, a disco behind the beach here or, you know, rethink this uh, or just run with it and do the best you can. And hopefully you can fix it in post. Well, if you're the client and you're paying a bunch of money or you're the artist, you board a boat essentially for a day or three yeah. days or Good analogy. And I'm the captain of the ship. And you'd like to know that your captain has some idea what to do when you approach port and you're trying to park the boat by the dock rather than just full steam ahead and uh, the boat will stop when it runs into the concrete um so yeah i mean it's important there are so many more dimensions to directing rather than just i want you to stand here and look sexy did you ever navigate your path obviously you you executed this great video in 84 uh you've been a lover of rock music you're a singer a songwriter, overall musician, and talented. Did you ever think about, you know what, maybe I'm going to venture away from the camera and, and really try to hang my hat um, being a musician? Or did you just say, you know what, I'm just going to keep this as a parallel side gig, interest, strong interest, and see what happens? Um, well, I have done that. I've released three mm -hmm. albums. Three, yeah. Um, I, while I was doing Guns N' Roses and all these bands and whatnot. Without, I, was I, in, I, was in, I was in a band. 
um, you know, we you were, were play, signed, right? We would play every Saturday night in LA. Well, pretty much every Saturday. Well, every other Saturday, certainly. And there becomes a point where you go, my hobby is getting in the way of my career. And, um, and it's just bloody hard work. I mean, you know, I carry my gear into the gig. We would, everything. Yep. We would set up at six o'clock. Um, I was the per this is before email and everything. I was the person designing the flyers, printing them up, sending them out to 200 people. You know, we got a gig on Saturday night. Please come down. Spread blah, the blah, word. Blah. I'm the singer. We're doing four sets. You know, we would, we had about 60 or 70 songs in our repertoire. Um, and eventually you go, I realized that from Thursday afternoon through till Sunday afternoon, I'm in, I'm spending all this time and energy on my band and, you know, you wouldn't get, I wouldn't get home till like five o'clock on Sunday morning. I was just shattered Exhausted, and eventually sure. you just have to go, hmm. you know, this can't go on. Yeah. I mean, I was doing that into my forties and it's all right when you're a pop star because you've got a roadie to carry the amps. <laughs> but now you're a furniture I, mover and a musician. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I was Takes lucky I wasn't the drummer. You yeah. know, I was. Um, so yeah, eventually you just go. And that at that point, I just started, you know, recording more. But nobody bought the records, so eventually you just have to go. All right. Oh, you can go into DickNigel.com and you know pick up some merch. Yeah. Interestingly, nobody has ever bought anything. From Hold the on merch a second. Company. Let's change that. I got something in my basket right now here. Right. Well, that's interesting. Obviously, your perfectionism, you know, didn't stop when you're behind the camera, when you're on stage performing. Totally understandable. So very true to form from the UK, European, a cyclist lover as well. Mm -hmm. Not hard to believe. Um, you've ridden through how many different countries on your bike? Well, I think four, 14 or 15. 14. Yeah, yeah, a lot. More than most people on this planet, because most people obviously are just lazy or unless they're using for transportation out of this country. But tell me about um, how you said to yourself, you know what? I love cycling. Let me delve into the world of sports and cycling. Tour de France you made a great documentary that exposed doping, that short, which was just unbelievable. Um, we don't have a lot of time, but um, I'm glad you delved into this different genre because I, as a cyclist and Tour de France lover and pro cyclist lover as well, and anti-doping fan, love your work in this capacity. Well, I got asked, actually. <laughs> oh, I mean, I mean basic, basically, I was doing a lot of, a huge amount of cycling. I was putting information up on my website and somebody saw it who was in the music business and they said, I've met Jonathan Vorters, who's running the cycling team in Colorado. Perhaps you guys would like to talk. And he said, I want to make a film about David Miller. And I'd already been to the Tour de France twice to watch it. And of course, when somebody says, well, uh, would you be interested in coming to France for three weeks on the bus with the team? And your response is, you know, when do I leave? Um, of course, what you don't realize is that you you don't have a crew. There's only one of you. And instead of, I don't know, like the Band-Aid video we're talking about, where it's all in one room, it's spread over 4,000 miles of France. You know, there's how many two countries? And a half, 
and maybe five or six countries. A logistical there's, nightmare. You know, there's two and a half thousand miles of cycling and another two thousand miles of of driving between the stages. And you may start in the morning wearing a t-shirt and just with a camera and finish at you know five or six thousand feet in a hailstorm. And somehow you have to make the transit between the two places and know what's going on in the race and find the person on your team who's got critical information they can deliver to the camera and then go to your hotel room at night, which is clinging to the side of an alpine mountain with zero Wi-Fi, cut your little piece of film together and get it up on YouTube before you go to bed. You need to wake up the next morning and do it all over Rinse again. and repeat. Wow. Three so, weeks straight. Yeah. I mean, it, um, it's it's very, very hard work. And uh, I mean, obviously, it's very hard work for the cyclists, too. The interest, the interesting thing is by the time the, on the first day, there are 20 cycling teams and everybody's at war with each other, including the staff, sometimes including the bus drivers, you know, who want to get for position position and all the rest of it. And they have their own film crews and you'll fight. I had a, a my own personal fight with a guy from the Tour de France staff who was always kicking me out of the area because I didn't have the right pass, who I call Mr. Ponytail. Um, so I'm I'm having all these battles. But by the time you're in the last week and you're perhaps three or four days out from Paris, everybody's on the same team because everybody's tired. Everybody's lost something, left something behind in the hotel everybody's chatting to each other on the other teams and everybody's desperate to get to Paris. So that was, that was something that was very interesting. It's like any thing that you become really passionate about. Once you get behind the fence and you get inside it, you see a whole bunch of other stuff that you never knew. And you did it twice. So twice. Uh, the second time, did you say to yourself, Oh man, am I a glutton for punishment? Or you really said to yourself, man, I'm really into this. Yeah. It's a lot of work but this is something I'm also passionate about. Well, the thing that I, it's very interesting. The first time I went, I kept calling the team, the band, because <laughs> it's very simple. It's very similar. They do a different yeah, gig every yeah, night sure. and they travel places on the coach, you know? So, and each of them in the team has a different job, you know, the bass player, the lead guitar player, the singer and all the rest of it. Um, what I realized is I was becoming so involved. It's so intense that, the second year I sensed I was not going to be invited back because the sponsor was changing and the sponsor was going to bring their own film crew. And I thought the withdrawal symptoms from this are going to be horrific. Can and they were. I mean, the next year I was sitting back in my living room in LA watching it on the television. And I'm, I was, I was gutted. I mean, it's the, people who work on rock and roll tours go through exactly the same. They'll tell you that when they, get home after three months on the road, when it's 7.50 at night, you know, 10 minutes before showtime, their pulse starts, you know, going because that's what they've, and it's so intense and there's nothing like it. Um, and so you miss the food, you miss the coffee, you miss the baguette in the morning, you know, and uh, yeah. Your deadline to upload the footage of the day to YouTube. But yeah. I imagine you probably took out your frustrations on your bike. Um, well, of course you come. Back. I mean, you just you've been watching some of the 
sure. finest Lead athletes yeah. in the world who were who were climbing extraordinary mountains with blood pouring down their legs um, in desperate, you know, to trying to define their entire career on one afternoon. And you're 20 mm. years older. You don't have their physique. You, um, it doesn't matter if you have their equipment or not. The equipment but that's not going to stop you from doing no, the leg of it. Yeah, I mean, France, you're just though, right? like, ah, man, how do they do it? It gives you a new perspective on Absolutely. what they do. So what's the specific tour that you want to do? The leg of the tour that you want to do? Oh, um, well, I, f I feel I need to go back to the uh, Col d'Aspin because I climbed half of it, but I never got to the top of it. Um, and um, which was the day that Lance was pulled off his bike, the same day that we were at the Col d'Aspin. Um, yeah, I mean, I at this point, I would go and do anything if I could, yeah, if I had the chance. Nigel Dick, Robin Williams, you were uh, on a pro show with him. You had the pleasure of directing him. I imagine he was a complete hoot to work with. Uh, well, I did. I wasn't able to direct him because he just showed up. We were doing a comedy show for it was another um, charity event for Education First. And they said Robin Williams will arrive sometime this evening. He's making a movie. He's going through a lot of makeup. And of course, subsequently, what we realized is he was making um, Mrs. Doubtfire. And he showed up and, the, you know, I'm in the truck with all the camp, all the monitors in front of me because it's basically like a live show. And they said, Robin's in the building. He'll be coming on in five minutes. Be ready for him. So he walks on and uh, there's a lot of kids there because it was for education first. And he started out with a routine. You know, he doesn't, and he's just doing this as a favor. Yeah, he and just riffs. He tanked. I mean, it was really, it was like, wow, I thought Robin Williams was supposed to be fantastic. Really? And it was just not happening. It was, and I'm like, and there was wow. deathly silence in the truck. And I'm like, do I stay on a close-up? Because I can see that he's going, this isn't working. And then he stood on, I can't remember where he was shooting, was shooting somewhere in East LA. And he got close to the edge of the stage and there was a, from the plank, the wooden plank he was standing on. And he made some comment about, physics you know it's like oh there's a bit of physics for you and the audience laughed and he was off to the races it went from zero to 9.9 .9 in wow. a fraction of a second and he was off riffing for 25 minutes is that amazing and it was hysterical and you go wow that was really that was really really interesting to observe wow. and you know i've not shot much comedy so it's like anything else. There's a particular way you cut a comedy show, which I was not terribly aware of. So I'm panicking the same time that Robin is obviously panicking. Oh, sure. It's unscripted. But, you don't know what's going to happen no, next. You don't no. know what the audience is going to react to. When I, I had the pleasure of interviewing him for a, um, a triathlon, the Challenge Athletes Foundation, great organization out in San Diego. And I was on a celebrity team and my swimmer partner was Michaela Jones, the world's fastest female athlete in the world. So I'm standing there in the transition area talking to Robin Williams. And I have my microphone. He grabs my microphone. He goes, are you Rob Lowe? And basically interviews me <laughs> for 15 minutes. <laughs> it was hysterical. But what a great person. Just down to the bone. When a camera stopped rolling, just, you know, he and I just talking about cycling, like he said. 
you know, what are you passionate about? And he's a huge, was a huge cyclist and what a loss that's for sure. No, I mean, well, the thing that, um, cause I've often been asked about the cycling thing, what appealed to me about it, apart from the fact you get out into the countryside and, you know, cycling in a different country, you get to smell it, you get to hear it, all the sensations that you don't get when you're in a car. And it took me a long time to realize that when you're on the set, you know, people can I, uh, excuse me, Mr. Dick, would you like a cup of coffee? You know, and it's like, I can get my own freaking coffee. Thank you very much. And when you're on the bike, trying to climb up some Tour de France style mountain, you're on your own. You know, there's no, uh, I mean, now you can get an electric bike, but if you want to get to the top of that hill, you've just got to grit your teeth and get on with it. That's it. And um, it's hell. But once you've done it, you get a real sense of satisfaction that nobody can take away from you. I mean, I've climbed five or six of the big mountains in France, which are in the Tour de France, myself. I did them in perhaps four or five times the time it would take a Tour de France cycle. Doesn't matter. But nobody can take, and Mm -hmm. I had to stop and get off and have a drink and take a couple of photographs up the hill and all the rest of it. But nobody can take away from me the fact that I've climbed Mont Ventoux and Alpe d'Huez on my own. Thank you very much. Well said, well said. And, um, (laughs) <laughs> you know that i mean to me personally that's some of my proudest achievement i'll bore my wife to death when she comes in i'm watching the tour de france you see this man i climb you see that corner yeah, yeah. i've i've ridden around that corner great honey take out the garbage when you're done yeah i mean it's one of the great one of the great yeah. things about cycling is that if you are a fan cyclist you can cycle on exactly the same roads that the world's best do if you are a baseball player can you go and make a pitch in the Wrigley Stadium? I don't think you can. They won't let you on the grass. And correct me if I'm wrong. Not a baseball fan. Visually impaired, not my sport. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, whatever. I mean, the point is, is yes, sure. If, point if taken. You are, if you're a cricket player, you can't yeah. go and play on Lord's oh. cricket pitch. They won't let you near it. Yep. Whereas if if you were a, a fan of the Tour de France, you want to climb outdoors, the only problem is there's another thousand people just like you sweating bullets trying to climb it well going back to that triathlon story i was on the bike portion of the leg and i'm riding with scott tinley a major triathlete biggest name in the world back then and a few other popular names and we're in this peloton and we're about to go down a hill and i was heavy then i was probably about 225 230 ish and these guys are fairly emaciated buck 50 buck 40 buck 30 And I said to myself, well, Mark, you can enjoy this pack ride or you could do something that you'll never, ever be able to do again. And it may not work out, but it may. So I pulled out and I gunned it and I went out (laughs) of the Peloton and I floored it. And who knows if they were really trying to chase me. But on the uphill, Scott came up, tapped me in the lower back and said, how'd that feel? (laughs) It felt glorious. Well, I'll, um, I'll tell a celebrity story which is quite funny. Please do. Uh, Kurt, Kurt Smith from Tears for Fears was telling me he bought himself a new bike a few years back. And um, he was cycling along, um, doesn't matter, a, a road in LA, you know, up in, the, up in the hills. And I think he crashed the bike. He fell off. And he fell on the ground and he's like, oh my God, you know, 
and he's getting up and a hand comes from nowhere to reach down and pull him up. And he looked up and it was Lance Armstrong. Wow. <laughs> he's like, is there anybody else in the world could crash? They could just get up on their own. Sure. sure. I have to crash and That's bloody hysterical. hell Lance Armstrong is there to watch that? me fall off my bike, which I thought was quite funny. Everybody wants to rule the world. Yeah. So check out nigeldick.com because I have never seen a more thorough, comprehensive, and phenomenally entertaining website, Nigel. I mean, all your work, your advice, your music, your videos, um, and also your travel, Dick's Tricks. When did you decide, and I'm so glad you did, that, you know what, I'm going to step out from behind the camera and do a little bit of a music travel log. And I loved when you did a piece on uh, Willie Nelson. And of course, uh, everything in this studio, in my home studio right here, is purchased from Sweetwater, the piece on Sweetwater, and so much more. Well, you, uh, unfortunately, it's like a drug. And if you don't have a, if you don't have a yeah. gig that week, you go, well, I'll go and shoot something else. Great. And, you know, I, I've been very, one of the things which is fabulous about my job is I've been able to travel all over the world. So eventually, you, you know, you start standing there with your phone or your camera or whatever, and you're shooting stuff. And then you get home and you're like, well, okay, what am I going to do with it now? So I just started putting it together and, you know, I put a little clip up and then I thought, well, I need a VO. It should have a beginning and an end. And then perhaps it should have a point. <laughs> so um, eventually I started trying to do pieces, which, which were really like little TV shows. I did one for a, a, a country home in the UK uh, which was at a different level, but unfortunately I couldn't sell. I was eventually trying to pitch it as a series. Um, and I wanted to go to interesting, unusual places, not the places people would normally go, you know, try and find the wacky places and whatnot. Mm, uncharted. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, you, and then something else comes along and so you don't complete it. Well, you're uh, a really busy man. I mean, writing, uh, screenplays, writing songs, uh, obviously still doing videos, doing a lot of work. And I'm really excited to say that you have an autobiography in the works. Mm -hmm. Tell us about this quickly. And when can readers get their hands on this puppy? Well, it's mostly done. Uh, it's unfortunately too long. They advise that it should be 100,000 words and it's 200,000 words. But it's your life. I mean, it's your experience. We can't edit well, you this. Have to, it's like everything, uh, sure. as they say in Hollywood, you have to kill your children. Yeah. You know, you have terrible to, expression. This, this, yeah, which is a terrible <laughs> way to describe it. It but, is. Um, and you start going, oh, okay, perhaps this part the world does not need to know about. The, the reason I'm doing it is for two reasons. One is that the most important reason is that I've been given an extraordinary bunch of experiences in my life to meet unbelievable people, um, to go to amazing places and to not share it with other people feels that it would be very selfish of me. Good for you. Um, of, of course, when people get to read the book, they might go, what a load of crap. <laughs> and that's okay. And the other thing is, is that um, it was quite a struggle to get there. You know, lots of stuff happened. I, I mean, 
you know, my big entree into the music business, into showbiz, was working as a motorcycle messenger. Uh, so it was not the glamorous entree that many people think, you know. Uh, I've met a lot of people from film school and they walk, waltz in and they want to start directing, you know, and it's like, you know what, pal, perhaps you need three or four years of just carrying messages and yeah. all the rest of it to yeah. learn what goes on behind the scenes, because all that stuff is actually very useful. So, and I had extraordinary experiences when I was a motorcycle messenger, you know, and all the shit jobs I did, you know, I mean, I, uh, as I say in the book, at one occasion, I found myself carrying a bunch of drugs across London, had no idea what I was being sent. To. All right, I want you to go to this address, pick this stuff up. And I didn't then see drug back. mule on your resume. It is on my resume now. <laughs> and, um, and then you go, well, I am in the, the music business. Yeah, what part and parcel. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'd like you to uh, interview a whole lot of other film directors and see how many of them have drug mule on their, on their resume. So, yeah, I mean, so if nobody reads it, fine. Uh, hopefully there's a couple of things where people will piss themselves laughing and uh, a couple of things which are very embarrassing to me, which I feel I need to share. And um, uh, yeah. So. Well, to give listeners a sense of the depth and scope of your work, I, I don't write out questions. I actually just as a, a stepping process, I write down just notes, bullet points, and I have five pages of bullet points for you. I don't even think I scan into the second or third page. So this is just an hour's worth of conversation of a minuscule snapshot of Nigel Dick's life and work. So I urge people to go on nigeldick.com, follow you on all your social platforms, be on the lookout for his book. And, and Nigel Dick, I want to thank you for, I know you're humble, you're an affable guy, but I'm going to lay it on you. You deserve these accolades. It's been a pleasure to work with you that short time, that 8, 10, and 12-hour day that we spent together under the blistering sun was just eye-opening. I think it was epic. It was revolutionary. And I think reflective of the work you do in different capacities, uh, behind the camera, in front of the camera, on stage, off the stage, that you've created arch entertainment, made people laugh, made people think, made people live and cry. And there's nothing better in life than that. So thank you for all your work. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. And that is part two of Nigel Dick on Insight here on the Progressive Radio Network. My name is Mark Farrell. Hope you enjoyed it. Part one and part two will be on the Insight page. I mean, there's so many great things about that talk and conversation with Nigel. But one thing that really stands out is talking about just being your best, whoever you are and whatever you do in this world. He said if he's a carpenter, and I can really relate, that's a great metaphor because I love woodworking. And as you know, um, I mentioned uh, a couple months ago, I, I spent three months renovating my mother-in-law's house. I'm most passionate about that. But regardless of what field you're in, you know, what passion you have to be good at what you do. As a matter of fact, uh, a sidebar here, I, I met with someone yesterday, uh, a gym owner we uh, had met years ago. And he's also visually impaired. His vision's even worse than mine. And he started his own gym. He's doing quite well. And he's full of piss and vinegar. And he's a great guy, though. 
But um, he said, he kept telling me he wants to be the best. He wants the world to know about him and his model and his business, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I don't want to take out his legs right now because I'm going to be sort of a mentor to him. But I want him to know, and I want you guys to know, who cares if the world knows about you? It's about you. You have to be happy with who you are and what you're doing in this world, kind of like what Nigel was saying. And, and you know this. But that's what, you know, I think the world has become or is becoming or a portion of it is because the influence of how we're perceived. How do you perceive yourself? That's the most important question. That's what needs to be underscored. Are you happy with yourself? Where you are in life, where you're headed, what you've done? Hey, a lot of us are happy with the things we've done in life, including me. I'm putting my hand up. Uh, starting with the harmonica playing I started the show with. That wasn't a good performance. <laughs> and serious stuff, though. Um, but that's the most important thing, is who cares if you get notoriety, awards, accolades? You know, what does that mean at the end of the day? Are you a good person? Are you making this world a better place? Yeah, that's what it's all about. So NigelDick.com, N-I-G-E-L-D-I-C-K.com. I'm telling you, if you're even remotely into music, you will love his website. Great stuff. Great stuff. Okay. Hey, it's Mark Farrell. Uh, Thursday, very psyched for Thursday. Um, something that happened again this morning. Actually, yesterday morning it was. All the days are kind of blending together. And uh, let me know if this ever happened to you because this is just very, very infuriating on many levels. First off, a safety level. I'm waiting for the school bus. Uh, no, not for me. <laughs> uh, for my daughter. And this big, yellow, gigantic school bus just stopped with their flashers on and cars drive by. Now, this is just a two-lane road and cars are just driving by. I mean, this is a major, major traffic offense. Not to mention common sense. Hello? There's a school bus, you know, a giant, yellow, like, huge bumblebee parked with these giant flashing lights flashing on the front and side and incidentally there's a stop sign that pops out on the driver's side of the bus and cars blow by and this bus driver i love her she gets on the horn beeps the horn and i'm yelling hey hey people just are just i just don't know is it just because they're completely and utterly just disconnected distracted looking at their phones don't care. Oh, it's a yellow bus. I don't see a kid running in front of the bus, so it's okay for me to drive. Like, this is a major violation. I mean, the points, I imagine, are probably like five or seven points. The insurance, not to mention, it's just wrong. So, uh, Mark Farrell's making a, uh, a plan to go to the police department next week and have a talk with them about this because I would be happy to make a public service campaign for them. Pro bono. Um, and get this out there because this is just sickening. Actually, my wife told me last week three cars in a row passed my son's school bus. So I, I just believe me, I understand that, you know, sometimes buses put their lights on prematurely when they're about to stop. So you don't know when to stop. Like, if they can stop here, do I have 10 more feet? And, you know, but when a bus is completely stopped and the lights are on and cars are just going by, that makes my blood boil. Knock on wood. Okay, hey, Paralympics. Yes, Paralympics are coming. 
on Friday, tomorrow, the opening ceremonies. This is fantastic. You know, I live for this. I live for the world of persons with disabilities, improving their lives, giving them opportunities in sport and life in the job front. And great for NBC. There's going to be 230 hours. Two, three, zero. It's going to be on uh, their network, NBC. Uh, they're linear, obviously, Channel 4 or wherever you live. Um, it's also going to be on Peacock, the Olympic Channel, USA, and, of course, online. So great, great options to watch the Paralympics. Now, have you ever watched the Paralympics? Well, if you haven't, I'm going to sell you big time because these are people that I think are well how do I say this? Even more determined than your typical athlete, than your typical Olympian athlete. Because this is not only what they do, this is who they are. I think even on a different level, again, than Olympic athletes. Because Paralympians, they just don't walk off the field or leave a court or whatever their discipline is and resume their life in a different way. No, their disability is with them 24-7, 365. There are no days off from having a disability. And so, yes, they may not practice their discipline every day when they're not in the preparatory stages of uh, competition or, of course, the Olympics. But being an Olympic athlete is amazing. Being a Paralympian, to me, resonates because I'm an athlete, I have a disability, and I had the pleasure of interviewing Paralympians and just incredibly gifted to everyday athletes with disabilities for many, many years. And as you know, I bring them to you on this show, uh, fortunately, so you can meet them. You can hear their resilience, their passion, their gift of whatever sport or whatever it is in life that makes them tick, just like us. And, and this year, the U.S. Uh, is definitely expected to feature a number of medal contenders. There's a uh, a 10-time Paralympic medalist, uh, what's her name? Okasana, Masters. Uh, it's cross-country skiing. And um, Andrew Kirka, I think Andrew Kirka, he's an Olympic skier. Uh, Kendall Gretsch, gold medalist, cross-country skier. Mike Schultz, oh, what's another name? Uh, Rico, what's Rico's last name? Roman, I think. Uh, so there's a lot of great, great athletes in the Paralympics. And you're going to see things that are going to boggle your mind. Dual amputees, quadriplegics competing in different sports that'll just make you go, how is this possible? Going, you know, 70, 80, 90 miles an hour downhill with uh, dual amputees, a dual amputee rather. It is just amazing at what we can overcome physically and mentally to capture whatever it is we want in life. Like I tell a story about, uh, it's called the leap of blind faith when I give motivational talks, depending on the audience. And it's a 20-minute story about basically working and preparing hard in life, despite circumstances. And it's called, uh, again, leap of blind faith. But I said, it's about a triathlon, me not being able to see the water, um, the, the buoys, Right before my first triathlon, I realized right before they're going to start the fire gun, fire off the gun, that I couldn't see the race course buoys. And what was I supposed to do? Heck, I never even thought about that. So it's a whole 20, 25 minute story about navigating life. 
at the end, I'm like, everyone has a triathlon in life. It can be in different forms. It could be a relationship, a job, goal, starting your own business, sport specific, whatever the case may be. Whether you're able-bodied, which I think is temporary, and I told that to somebody the other day. What do you mean temporary? Well, I said everyone's going to be, their body's going to break down to, in some capacity someday, right? They're like, oh, yeah. Or have a person with a disability. So um, that's the message. So watching these incredibly resilient, Herculean efforts that are performed for nearly two weeks is something I highly, highly recommend. Is it inspiring? You know, some people get, they call it inspiration porn um, because media outlets still say, well, this will be an inspiration for you to see this person who is blind or deaf or multi-disabled do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, it, it, that doesn't really bother me. It bothers a lot of people in the disability world. But I think coverage is coverage. Yes, proper vernacular is, is you know, what we want. But the reality is we want people, these people to be out there being seen and heard. That's most important. I want them to be interviewed. I want there to be lifestyle background stories on NBC and all the different platforms about these incredible athletes attaining whatever they want. Yes, if they win gold, silver, bronze, perfect. But they're at the games, man. They're doing what they want to do. They're passionate about it. And that's phenomenal. That is something that you cannot put a price tag on. And whatever they do post the Paralympics, it's phenomenal. And uh, yes, I'm very happy about the fact that they're getting more coverage than ever. I'm really happy that there's a team in London, I believe. It's Channel 4. So um, pardon me if I'm misspeaking to my London listeners. But there is a coverage, a team, Paralympic team, media team that's all disabled. I think there's like five uh, commentators and or feature correspondents, part of Channel 4 in London, that are going to be... Uh, so this is the first time I believe that's happened. So that's a major first. Now, what I would love to see is the Paralympics precede the Olympics. Why do you say that, Mark Farrell? If we have the Paralympics... By the way, some people always say Paralympics... P-A-R-A-O-L-Y-M-P-I-C-S. It's Paralympics. P-A-R-A-L-Y-M-P-I-C-S. Common mistake. No biggie. And if you even Google it, sometimes it comes up wrong. But if it came before, if it preceded the Olympics, it would get much more attention. Because the reality is, you know, after watching two weeks of the Olympics, even the Winter Olympics especially, they're not as exciting as the Summer Games. Uh, and on both levels, even though I think the Paralympic Winter Games are more compelling than the Olympic Winter Games. But I find it, um, it would really, really take the Paralympics to an all-time new level, height. And certainly it would get more, more uh, media coverage. On uh, and, and, and that's what we want, the ultimate goal. Again, to bring persons with differences into everyone's homes so they can see what they've done, what they're capable of doing. Will it inspire you? Hell yes. Do some people think that's the wrong thing? I don't care. Being um, around and, and certainly for your families to see, children to see people with differences shine, to prove that they are capable and anything is capable in life with time, will, determination, and effort. Right? Yeah. 
All right, man. I had a lot more things I wanted to get to today, but of course, the time just slips by, but not short enough to do this. I'm sorry, I won't do it again. <laughs> it's a brand new harmonica. I lost the other one, so I'm uh, kind of happy with it. It's in my pocket here. Um, yes, yeah, summer concerts, really quick. A lot of great summer concerts. How could I not mention this with Nigel Dick on my show? Uh, check it out because uh, there are a lot of incredible tours. I just bought tickets yesterday for the Lumineers. I love them. If you don't know the Lumineers, it's folk rock or folk alternative folk, um, and they are incredible. Great songwriting. And uh, they're touring all over the country. Um, I don't know if they're doing a international tour this year, but maybe. Um, if ever you want to say hello, share a story, uh, whatever the case may be, it's mark at markfarrellmotivation.com. Mark at markfarrellmotivation.com. I want to welcome a new member to PRN. His name is Rodney. He is the new program director of the Progressive Radio Network. Welcome, Rodney. He's in the other room waving, waving. No, he's not waving. Now he's waving. Hello, Rodney. He's a great guy. Great heart. A passion for talk radio. And that's the platform we have here. To be open, to be free, to be creative, to stir minds, to create conversation, to have dialogue with you, and to make this world a different world, a better world, a, a more improved, a um, more of a thinking world and more of a acting world in terms of getting stuff done, right? So welcome, Rodney, and welcome you if you're a first-time PRN listener. My name is Mark Farrell. Gary Knowles next. Keep living and laughing and have a great day. That's all, baby! Insight with Mark Farrell. Check out this and all Insight shows on the Insight page at prn.fm. prn.fm. Have Mark speak at your company, your kid's school or college. Mark speaks on critical topics that affect kids and adults everywhere, from anti-bullying, mental health, drugs and alcohol, to overcoming adversity. Visit markfarrellmotivation.com for more info. Insight, Thursday mornings at 11 on the Progressive Radio Network. Network.